Welcome back to Hero Talk. I am your host, Judge Greg. Joining me today, I got Kinetic and Goose. Guys, welcome back to Hero Talk. Hey. Happy to be here as always. All right, today's topic is the fifth element. Right off the bat, let me get it out of the way. Folks, Hero Talk is a spoiler podcast. Nothing is off the table. Everything is fair game. You've been warned. Soylent Green is people. And Gary right. Oldman is the bad guy. And Gary Oldman's the... That's not a spoiler. That's in that's in every movie. I'm sure if there was going to be a fourth Dark Knight, it turns out that Commissioner Gordon was behind everything. The Fifth Element is an English-language French science fiction action film, according to Wikipedia, which I consider gospel. Uh, so this movie is starring uh, Gary Oldman, Mila Jovovich, and some other people. I, I I don't know. This this was a weird movie. This is it's it's a really weird way that I've developed my interest in the movie. The first time I saw it, I absolutely hated this film. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. Now bear in mind, I saw it uh, in in the first VHS release, so probably in '98 or '99, somewhere in there. And I I had heard somebody describe this movie as the next Star Wars. And obviously, younger Greg was a little bit more naive and not quite as cynical and jaded as, as Judge Greg has become. But uh, So I kind of believed him. I'm like, oh, my generation Star Wars. Also, bearing in mind the oddity that Star Wars is kind of my generation Star Wars. Um, so I picked it up and I watched it and I hated it and I didn't watch it for years. And, and then I just kind of caught it on TV, probably on TBS cause they play this movie. I think it's got its own time slot on, on the weekly schedule. Uh, so I watched it and I remember thinking to myself like, oh, that's not as bad. And then I came to love this movie and then I didn't watch it for another really long time. And then I watched it for Hero Talk and I, I think I'm back to not liking it. <laughs> I think that describing it as Star Wars does it a tremendous disservice it does. Yeah. It's it's a lot more like oh I thought of I thought of this earlier. It's a mix of mm, I'm not going to remember the other one, but it's it's like Blade Runner retold by a 12 year old, illustrated with a box of neon markers. That seems about right. Yeah, that yeah. sounds very good. Yeah, I don't. What do you think, Goose? Do you like this movie? First time I ever saw this movie, I was with you. I absolutely hated it. Now I can tolerate it, but I still wouldn't consider it to be really good. Yeah. I, I mean, there was a time when I loved this movie. Um, that time is not now. But but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Nick, I didn't actually hear. Did you like it, or do you kind of are you kind of met on it, or what? I'm kind of met on it. I would say that uh, it it's it can be fun. It's it's one of those movies that doesn't really have anything to say. So it, it's not uh, something you can take any message from. So it's all about the ride, and the ride is pretty good. There's a few interesting things in the execution. But for a movie that's just supposed to be fun and kind of like a, a, a silly little adventure thing, I was really surprised that it has a two-hour runtime. It, it does, and I would I would say that that's probably it's a fault of the movie. It takes it a while to get going. Oh yeah, I think what are we about we're a half hour in before Lilu shows up for the first time. Yeah, a, a lot of the movie actually a lot of the runtime is is and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But there's a mm-hmm. pacing problem because there's so much effort spent on establishing things. Yes. And, and it makes the movie feel a lot more 
like all the seams fit, but there's other things that you think about and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like a lot of people's motivations and the timing, like the whole thing's supposed to take place in 48 hours. And that doesn't yeah, seem right. No, and then the, I mean, there's a lot of. Yeah, the, I, I tried not to think about the timing because you start to some of the conversations was was very clearly that they they were left in there, but they were from like early rights of the script, and they saying things like the diva's going to perform in a few hours. And then they get there, and like she's not even there yet, and like what what? And, I, <laughs> and then it, I really it would have helped a lot if they just had it's, it's changed forty eight to you know a week or something. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, I think what really killed the pacing is you have this whole 1914 scene, and that really seemed to go on for way too long. Like, I think the the Mandishawans, like, very slowly traipsing down a hallway, I, I, I maybe didn't need to see all of that. <laughs> and, and like, the whole you're establishing, like, oh, here's the kids, and the one kid holds the light, and, and there's 90210 hanging out, drawing stuff in the corner. Was well, Luke Perry, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Title billing. Yeah, I talk about title billing for being in the movie for uh, how much screen time was that for him? Like 10 minutes max? Uh, that's pretty generous. Yeah, if that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to talk about the whole sequence, that's probably about right, but for the amount of time he was actually on the screen, no way less than that. Yeah, but that that took too long and then like you have like the the deep space great evil appears with the 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 guy shooting it and then so this was kind of weird uh, i know oh, we usually oh, talk about the I'm, cast i'm sorry i'm just gonna I, go back a little bit it was yeah what? I, I remember the other film it's it's uh blade runner mixed with heavy metal retold by a 12 year old with a box, <laughs> box of neon markers yeah that's totally yeah. right that is exactly right but anyway going back to my point so the president is is like watching this space thing develop he doesn't know it's pure evil and it's basically it's just the president and like maybe his his advisor people and then behind him, he's got this, like, group of clergy just gathered to... I mean, he didn't know it was evil. It's not like he... But I mean, when you look, like, the priest is there and he stands up. And the scene where he steps forward to explain that it's evil... Like, if you see behind him, there's a Catholic priest. <laughs> there's a rabbi. And I'm pretty sure there's a Buddhist monk. I guess they don't have much separation of church and state in this world. Why? Well, apparently, uh, church and state became right in there again. Because, I mean, this is a spatial anomaly. And the president was just like, all right. to do with scientists than priests. Yeah. We're going to send a ship and gather the clergy. It's, it just it just seemed odd to me that, like, I understand why they had to get the priest there, because Vito needed to be there to establish what was going on. But, uh, but no, I just, it, it really didn't seem like, I mean, it was just, it was just odd to me. All right. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the cast. Uh, we're going to start with, uh, with Mila Jovovich because I love her. I don't, I don't know why else. She's one of my favorite actresses, and she's a great action star. Uh, playing Lilu Dallas Multipass. <laughs> uh, now, she actually, she got nominated for a Razzie for this best performance. I didn't think there was a whole lot wrong with it, perfectly honest with you. I, I kind of liked her. I mean, other than the script, maybe. Uh, but that, you know, it's not like she has a writing credit, so I can't blame her for that. But in terms of how she performed, I I have nothing against it. I mean, I, I, I don't kick some things. Yeah, hearing that there was a Razzie surprises me, because... It, I, I could understand if someone says that she could have done more to elevate the material, but she didn't. There, there was nothing wrong going on there. I, I thought she did just fine. Hell, honestly. I thought that I mean, the fight sequences she did looked better in this than they did in um, 
ultraviolet. That's that is correct. They did. I mean, I love the fight scenes in this movie. Now she only had like the one. There was the one big one, that's for sure. The one big one, and which is a shame because in the uh, in the trailers they really played up that scene. So I thought I was going to be seeing a lot more of that, but really it was just that one scene, and then kind of for the rest she was just getting chased around for the rest of the movie, which was kind of a shame. But yeah, going back to what you were saying, the Razzie seems remarkably harsh, given that for what she was given to work with, I agree with you, she did a phenomenal job given the material. I mean, you can't you can't get blood from a stone, people. Yeah. Now, who you know who else was nominated for a Razzie was uh, Chris Tucker. Now, that one I don't argue so much. I would say Chris Tucker, given I, I think he probably performed what was on paper spectacularly. That, now, that granted, that's another one that honestly surprises me. I mean. I I suppose I understand that some people might find Ruby Rod annoying, but I mean that was possibly the best actor to get for that role to elevate it as much as you could. I mean I don't I don't see who else could have possibly played uh, Ruby Rod, uh, and this was his debut, wasn't it? Wasn't this his uh? I don't or his know. major motion motion pick. Uh, no, no, he was in Dead Presidents before and Panther and Friday. All right, so this was not his debut. My fault. He's actually was in a, a handful of things before this. But uh, I, I mean, I just don't see how else Robbie Ruby Ruby Rod could have been played. And and it just seems you're getting on Chris Tucker for what the script said. I'm 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 sure everything that was that he did was in the script, and I I it seemed brilliantly taken out of the script and and brought in. So yeah, I, just, I, I, don't I, I think the only imagine. other way you could make Ruby Rod work is if you actually got Prince to play the role, and that would never work. No, <laughs> I see. I wouldn't want Prince to play the role because it's it's too close to Prince. I want somebody to lampoon Prince playing this role, and I think Chris Tucker did that brilliantly. Yeah, and to your point, I don't know of anyone else who could have done it better. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I I, no, I did not like the character Ruby Rod. Let me be perfectly frank on that. I do not like the character Ruby Rod, but that's not to say that it's because Chris Tucker didn't do a good job on it. It's just to say that the character was written in such a way that I was kind of hoping he'd catch a stray bullet. Even now, having seen this movie a couple dozen times, <laughs> I'm hoping secretly I've got some, some new cut where he, he grabs a shot somewhere in there. But, <laughs> Uh, let's see, who else we got to talk about? Gary Oldman. It's a hero talk, so we got to talk about Gary Oldman playing, and I'm going to use the full name. Let's see if I get this right. Uh, Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Yep. Uh, I would have Zorg been more seems a little out of place. Lulu's whole name. No. I, I, I was going to try. I really was. <laughs> I looked it up, and I said no. You get about three names, four names into it, and you're like, nope. Nope. And so that's when I decided I was just going to call her Lilu Dallas Multipass. I'd say the 90s were a rough time for Oldman, man. <laughs> <laughs> he had some I don't bizarre I, roles in there. I I actually kind of liked Zork. Um, this is going to be kind of weird. Obviously, it's been a while since I've seen it. But did anybody else get like a big George W. Bush vibe off of him? I that guess, wasn't I what guess. I was getting. I can see where you're coming yeah. from there, though. Yeah, I just it, it really did. I kind of felt like a this was George W. Bush could have gone this route had some different life choices happened down the road for him. I don't know. It was it was really weird. Um. I like I like well I like Gary Oldman so I'm gonna like Zorg. He's basically. gonna chew the scenery exactly. and we're gonna love it. Yeah, and he did exactly that. It was his little speech with the whole "I'm gonna break the glass, look at all the life and stuff." It was <laughs> it, at least it provided uh, some base motivation for why this character is basically trying to usher in the end of all life. Uh, maybe I mean it wasn't exactly established that he knew it would be the end of everything. But uh, if you take it on a limited scale, I mean, there is some vein of truth to what he's saying. Right. I, I think he probably didn't understand that he's probably included. Well, yeah, he he was saying that his cost tripled, so he thought he was going to make money off of this. Yeah. 
And I don't know if you spotted this, but there was the one bit where uh, one of his aides was coming up to him and said, people are worried about the economy overheating. Maybe we need to lay off 500,000 people. So apparently he single-handedly controls the entire economy. Mm-hmm. And then he laid off a million so that we could know he was evil. Yeah. Because that's the only reason you would ever actually do that. It's like, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm in a movie or I need to establish myself as evil, so I'm going to say a million. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's... That's not how you run a business. You can't just be like, oh, uh, lay off a million people. How about some direction? <laughs> what, what million people should you lay off? Hell, his aid suggested from the taxi cab service. Yeah, which apparently is what they did, but it was like, where, where did the other half, because they made it sound like that half a, half a million was just from the cab service, <laughs> one of the smaller companies, because I guess everyone just, uh, well, New York's still a huge mess in, in the, the far off. What year is this set in? Twenty twenty three fourteen. is that right? I thought there was a six in there, but somewhere around there, yeah. Now, I'm just, I'm trying to think, like, something. 1914, and then there was 300 years or something later. I don't know. I Truth be told, I didn't pay 100% attention. It doesn't matter. It does not. It's future space time. That's all you really need to know. Uh, all right, so let me, uh, I, I guess we have to talk about Bruce Willis. Do we have to? Because he was... Uh, I mean, it's Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis. It's it's just he's playing the diehard guy. Yeah, in a, in a, to, different to, role. to be fair, at least at this point, he... Uh, he was still pretending to try. Yeah, uh, he was blonde, so that was that was different. See, blonde Bruce. Now, forgive me for being this shallow, but uh, isn't it kind of creepy to see Bruce Willis macking on Lilu Dallas there? Like, it, it was it was really really weird because Mila Jovovich was super young. Um, I don't actually know how old she is, and it would be impolite of me to find that out and announce it. Uh, however, I just looked it up, and she was born in '75, so doing the math, she would have been 22. Uh, in fact, she's born in December, so likely she was 21 when this movie came out, which probably puts her around 20 years old when this movie was filmed. And then Bruce Willis is old as balls, and so, yeah, so Bruce Willis is born in 55, so he would have been around 40, so, so, ew. Yeah, we're seriously <laughs> in the uncle territory here. Yeah, that was, and, and now I get, like, they, they play, like, her, she looks young, but her character is, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, but apparently was unfamiliar with the concept of war until now. <laughs> uh, well, we've been a lot better at it since the last time she was around. That's true. We She got to see how proficient we got with it. Like, check out this stuff. <laughs> but... But, I mean, she also was hanging out with aliens. I'm sure they thought some stuff up, too. That, anyway. Well, the, the, um, the, the ancients or whatever they were couldn't handle a couple of little, you know, raiders coming at their ship, so they got shot down and thus started the entire inexplicable chain of events that is this movie. Well, the original chain of events was when they decided to clearly mark and, and put in plain sight what was going on at this temple instead of, you know, trying to be a little bit more discreet about it. That's That was their big mistake. Bury it. Yeah, like, that should have been buried under the sand. And you just you show up at the 5,000-year mark, you raise it up out of the sand, you do your thing, you send it back down, everybody's happy. Yeah, and, and when the evil's coming, you might want to, uh, you know, start getting in position a little bit sooner than a couple days before everything has to be. You probably want that in place, like, a month ahead of time. What, what you really need to do, I think, is um, 
you you need to pass down from priest to priest exactly how the stones work. Yeah. I, I think that's probably a big deal. I think you definitely need to you need to get that information out there so that you don't end up in this exact situation we find ourselves in where everyone's like, how do they work? Oh, I don't know. Like, that was a very important part of the training. Like, what was the point of training you in everything else if you didn't actually know how the stones was, was the idea that the fifth element would just tell you? Because even then, she just decided to be, like, unnecessarily cryptic. Well, if she was passing out from blood loss, then that she she was actually being a little, you know... How do you activate the stones? Windstone, blow. Firestone, burn. It's it's not too cryptic. I think she passed out right after that too. She did. So, but that was before she found out that she was in love, or she just needed to hear that someone else was in love with. That got weird. Yes. Not not gonna lie, that was a little creepy. And also because it's me, so they said you have one minute until impact, and it took one minute and fifty seconds for Lilo to figure her crap out during that time. <laughs> to be to be fair, I believe they were saying that was until contact with the atmosphere, not contact with the surface. Yeah. Although after the thing dies, it doesn't look like it's sixty miles up above the the surface. It really looked somewhere around like moon level, which was how far is the moon up? Fourteen thousand miles. Does that that sound right? Maybe it got blasted back a bit. I think that shot yeah, had a little perspective trick because the moon was in the background and the evil sphere was in the foreground and it would actually be lower. But uh, that this all doesn't matter. Yeah. Hang on, I'm just looking up how far away the moon actually is from the Earth. Because these are the questions we think of when we watch The Fifth Element. How far away is the yep. moon's orbit? <laughs> All right, so nice. now looking it up, this is interesting. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so right now, uh, the moon is somewhere around like 238,000 miles from Earth. But when it was formed, it was 14,000 miles away. So I was kind of right. <laughs> and, and in a way, really, really wrong. Um but if this is going to be our new moon, then yeah, it was formed about 14,000 miles away. So I'm sticking with 14,000. And that was just eyeballing Maybe, maybe so, that's yeah. how we get moons. Maybe that's how we get moons. Maybe the old moon's going to eventually drift away and this one becomes the new moon. It's the cycle. I don't know. Well, our, I wasn't our, our moon does drift away, so. Yeah. It could, anyway. Um, let's see. We were talking about a movie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Corbin Dallas. What no, was it? The Sixth Sense? Maybe. He was dead the whole time. <laughs> yeah, spoil that one. Uh, Ian Holm as, as, as Father Vito Cornelius. Uh, he was from Alien. That's really all i got to say about that. Yep, pretty much. All right, is there anybody else in the cast we really want to talk about? Uh, Tom Lister. Who'd Tom Lister play? The President. Oh, the President. Tommy Tiny Lister. Yeah, he did a good job as the President. It was fun. I mean, yeah, I, I really not a very it. important role, and so he was just kind of there to be visually striking, I would say, but, you know, was, yeah. he gave what he has to the to the Enterprise, so. I, I agree. Uh, now, who, was, who was he in the uh, in the Dark Knight? He was uh, one of the gangsters. He wasn't the one that threw the, uh, he wasn't the one that threw the detonator over the side, right? Oh, no, you're right. That was, that was him on the boat. Okay, that was him on the boat. I'll do what you should have did 15 minutes ago. That was him. Yeah. That was one of the better scenes in that movie. Yeah, actually. Not not that I want to just start talking about a better movie while we're talking (laughs) this movie. Yes, you do. But that was a really powerful scene, and to see him step up like, I mean, that was, there's so much you could read into that scene with him there. Sorry, I just decided I wanted to talk about that movie for a while. Maybe this is maybe this is the real hero talk grading system. Is what percentage of the time are we actually talking about the movie? It goes to that, speak to his ability, the fact that he's actually blind in his right eye. So any is he really? Yeah. So anytime he's acting from his right side, that goes to show you he's simply going on instinct. 
I uh I liked him as the president honestly because yeah. I think he he played oh, yeah. he played smarmy politician really well and he was also the movie had a really had an issue with how it portrayed people. Um, now there were, there were some themes in it. Now, listen, I'm not, again, this is not a, a social justice podcast, so I'm not going to step up on the soapbox long. I will say that the female part was a little underwritten. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm going out of too far. How how many, is that not the case at this point? Well, I mean, we review action movies on this podcast. Yes, I, I'm not saying it's, it's not true, and I'm not saying it's not a valid point. It's just funny that it, that it keeps coming up. Keeps coming, I'll, I'll stop saying time. it when it stops being true. Yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna say. Like, yeah, I, it's it's just it's the case here. And then, like again, and then you take it to the other the other extreme is that the the men in the movie are basically a bumbling, buffoonish, clumsy. Um, you, it, with the exception of of Corbin and the president, basically, but everyone else is just kind of adult, you know. The great. You get the feeling the movie was written by aliens who don't actually know how humans act, because ninety percent of them you just like, okay, you watched some Stooges and thought that was all of humanity. It doesn't work. Well, you're not far off, Goose. It was written by the French. <laughs> well, I'll be. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's pretty spot on, actually. Uh, you know, one person we have to talk about, and not so much the actor, but just the scene, because it was kind of weird, is that mugging scene at the beginning. Oh. The mugger. And so that guy, and I'm, I'm trying to look up his name, but I've already lost interest, so we're just going to call him the mugger. <laughs> uh, he, he went on to, I think, uh, star in and direct that movie, Amelie. I don't know if that's how you say it. Huh. Uh, I had to screw up somebody's name, because it's Hero Talk. But uh, that was, I don't know, this the weird, smiling, white-faced woman. Um, the, the, is that... All right, I'm just speaking gibberish now. I apologize. I know uh, of the movie you're referring to. I haven't seen yeah. it. But so he's he's a famous serious actor, but in this movie he plays some weirdo and then I, I he he seems like he's he's trying to play Jonesing for a fix as I really need to pee. Yes. <laughs> that's I think that's pretty pretty spot on right there. As a matter of fact, I just I don't know how else to say it. He looked like he needed to pee as and then he started dancing for no reason. We said, nice dad. He's like, you like it? And he just starts, like, dancing in place. <laughs> I remember it made no damn sense. There's like, okay, a lot know, of stuff in this movie. I don't know what he was trying to do, sense. but it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, really, this movie is a, is another, it's an action movie, and it's big on style over substance. I don't think Lulu's origin makes much sense. The way they reconstructed her to escape her from all that doesn't make sense. Waiting, yep. the ancients waiting didn't make sense. The the her running into Dallas is just ridiculously convenient, considering that the generals also come after Dallas to give him the mission. So that brings them back together again. Yeah. Why did it take fifteen minutes to detect the bomb on the luxury liner <laughs> ship? When there was all these other explosives and rocket launchers and guns that nothing detected. It was waiting for somebody to mention it. (laughs) That's movie logic. Like, uh, when you say, well, at least it can't get any worse, and then it starts raining. Yeah. No, that was, um... And that... So, now, here's... As long as we're talking about the bomb on the ship... And, no, I hate nitpicking. I'm not CinemaSins. I'm really not. Um, but you have the... Oh, I'm trying to think of the name. The the weird dog-faced aliens, Mandalore. Is that right? Something like that. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and say it's Mandalore, uh, cause I, I can't remember what it was. But the Mandalores, the, the whole, their shtick is that once the leader's dead, they don't wanna fight anymore. And the leader was shot in the head. He was pretty decisively dead. So who was the guy who, like, was still laying there, kinda dying, who decided, I'm blowing the whole station? 
Because that would be a guy who's probably doesn't really know exactly what happened or how things went down. But if if he did, then he would know his leader was dead and he'd have no will to fight. And if he didn't, then he had no idea that this was his last chance. It was just it was very convenient and it was almost like they thought we need to kill Gary Oldman in a pretty spectacular way. <laughs> so we're just gonna have there be a second bomb. Yeah, that also wasn't detected. Um. If this were a movie that had something to say and was it really about something rather than just being a fun ride, I'd be more upset about all of the convenient coincidences. But uh, it is just a ride, so on that one, I kind of give it a pass because it's not too overt. All right. All right. But, but no, you know what? Here's what I can't give a pass, though. Lilu Dallas, multi-pass, is at the top of that building there, right outside the vent, and she's holding her hands up, and her hands are covered with soot. Covered. They are blackened with soot. You guys remember this? Yes, I do. Yes. She jumps off the building, lands in the back of Dallas's cab, and he's like, anyone back there? And she tosses her hand up into the glass to divide her. And that is a clean hand. Yeah, it's a pretty big mistake right there. Yeah. (laughs) The only logical conclusion I can think of is that in the back of Dallas's cab are one of those courtesy sanitization stations, (laughs) and that she took advantage of that before she decided to give him a sign of life. She fell through a rain cloud on the way to the cab. (laughs) Well, she's supposed to be the perfect being. Maybe the grime just sloughs off her. Maybe. Of course, then she her hair also turned into dreadlocks in, like, a day, so... That's true. Well, maybe dreadlocks are actually the perfected form of hair, and we just have been doing it wrong. Maybe. Where did her hair come from? Where did much of anything come from? Why did the priest have a makeup gun? Why wouldn't a priest have a makeup gun? And I don't think you actually want the answer to that question. (laughs) No, that that takes it to a whole other level, man. No, no, we are going to leave that one alone. Um, Just leave it, and we will not even speculate any further. Uh, but talking about the, the, when they're reconstructing Lilu, and, you know, they kind of build her layer by layer, as silly as, and they, they string up all the, they string up all of her muscles and stuff. Still didn't know she was a woman. Um, I don't know, maybe they needed a medical doctor in there instead of scientists so that they could be like, hey, if you've noticed, but anyway, uh, the, the, the whole, they put her like in this, the shield, and they're like, alright, so we're gonna blast her with some ultraviolet to force her to grow skin, which I don't think is how that works, nope. but sure. Um, at that point in time, it's like, alright, so she grew skin, where did her hair come from? And that's why I ask now, where did her hair come from? Science, not even once in this movie. <laughs> It was just, it was kind of odd. And if you look closely, like if you get in high def, you can totally see the cracks in the in that tube where she's about to punch through it oh. before she does. Well, like, oh, it's unbreakable, except it's already kind of broken. Well, I mean, you 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 got to give the the filmmakers uh, at least a little pass for you know the the realities of of uh, the filmmaking process. I I can give them a little bit, but here's another one that I noticed, by the way. So when um the guy who who works for uh for Zorg um what's his uh right arm I think I don't know if he actually says it. I looked it up in the credits. Yeah. Uh, so when right arm, like, when he blows up, when Zorg blows him up because he's disappointed with him, which is still a stupid thing for a boss to do, if you look through the explosion, and I, I this is the first time I noticed it, so the uh, the dummy or whatever the stand-in was that was holding the explosion that was being set off is still standing yeah, in the exact same too. spot. It's, yeah, uh, it's like it's his torso is blown yeah. open over the right shoulder. Mm-hmm. But the it, it looked a little bit like the T one thousand after a couple. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah. Tricky is hardcore. Uh, <laughs> Tricky's who played right arm. So um, I'm not sure who Tricky is, but that's just what his credited name is. And so I'm 
I'm not going to go any further than that. Uh, he's an English actor. There we go. That's all I got on him. Um, yeah, that was kind of weird. And also, since I'm nitpicking, and again, I don't, I don't like nitpicking, but I have to. At the very end, when they're in, when they're in the, the, the temple, and Ruby Rod says, I quit smoking, I should have point out that in the previous, like, scenes leading up to this, he is seen smoking. Yeah. Right at his initial interview with Alice, he, he starts smoking a cigarette. Yep. So he's a liar. Yep. You're right. I remember noticing that because, uh, I was I've been amused in this movie by the cigarettes that are eighty percent filter. Yeah. You know what I did just notice for the first time, which was kind of funny, is um Corbin has like the like a quit smoking tool for him. Yeah. And so it like it basically gives him only a certain number of cigarettes for the day. Mm-hmm. It's like this is all you can smoke. And then it says like, you know, smoking causes cancer, which it does. And and I was I did I never noticed that before. Like I had completely zoned out on, on that whole scene. Yeah, there, there, there is a number of fun little things in this movie like that, like the mm-hmm. um, uh, saran wrap bed, you know, uh, yeah. the 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 little Chinese food vendor that is serving Corbin Dallas food through his window because he's got the little floating thing. Yeah, that, yeah. Now here's I'm sorry that I think this way and I apologize, but so his his refrigerator and his uh. And and his shower basically takes the same space, but they just kind of go up and down. It seems like that doesn't make much sense because that that you you have to put then a space between the apartments, uh, both above and below, to allow for that that space to move the fridge shower up and down. Maybe it's set up in such a way that that's the service corridor or where you run the plumbing and the electrical through, like a drop ceiling kind of a thing. Maybe I don't know. It just it was odd for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just it just seemed kinda, like that always kind of. Well, when they were in the hallway, I seem to recall when the police were coming through trying to capture him. Uh, the hallway was really tall. Yeah, I guess it kind of was tall. Well, that's not an effective use of space then. No, it's in not. Your overcrowd. Yeah. yeah. They would have been better side by side. And also, his fridge gets really cold. He needs to get that looked at. Yeah, when I saw you... that, I thought he killed the general and his assistants. <laughs> Especially because yeah. he just closes... They, they are unresponsive, and he closes them in again. He sure does. Uh, and they are completely unresponsive. They've only been in that refrigerator for only a few minutes. As long as, as the father, Vito, can hold his breath. Yeah. So it, it just they they froze solid, and that's that's not how refrigerators work. Well, at least when they're working properly. Yeah. So he needs to get that fixed. Apparently, his and, and all, from the Acme Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> it also was kind of weird when the general mentioned specifically that uh, we should probably mention the general. Uh, the general was played by uh, Brian James, who I didn't know this until uh, just today, but he was the voice of Parasite in the Superman cartoon. Huh. Well, yeah. yeah, see? Learn something. I guess he has a voice with character. He does. <laughs> uh he does he does a lot of voice work actually. Uh but he when he was uh when he comes in he tells like Dallas, like all of the people who served with you are dead. Well we just had a whole conversation when he was talking to Fingers about how they were boot together and they served together and they flew together and so I guess what happened from that specific unit which wouldn't refer yeah. to that time frame or something. Yeah, but it it just it just kind of seems weird because then when Corbin's like I don't want to do it, they could be like, well, we'll just ask Fingers. <laughs> I mean, he also apparently lost his job, and we never get any resolution on that. Poor Fingers, man. There's still a million people that just got laid off, and this movie expects us to just completely forget about it. Well, Zorg's dead. A whole lot of people probably lost their jobs. Yeah, that's also true. Zorg Industries, whatever it They're is, they're gonna they, have a big crisis do. coming up. I hope they got a good board of directors. They are. I, I mean, not only did they don't. lose Zorg, but they lost right arm and uh, probably some other stuff too. I I don't know. Uh, 
so I guess let's talk about some visual effects from this movie because I uh, I I feel like we've been a little harsh and, and in some ways unfairly harsh, in some ways extremely fairly harsh. Um, I I thought the visual effects were very well done. I like the uh, the Mandalores. I thought they did a good job making them look alien, but not they 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 looked authentic enough. They they did a surprisingly good job of articulating the faces for when they spoke. Yes. I mean, even when they, uh, and I don't remember who the leader one was, but when he was like, when he was hurt, apparently he survived that explosion right at the very uh, beginning of the movie. Yeah. But Which means when he, probably when about he, halfway through. Yeah. So when he was hurt, he, uh, they actually, he looked, I mean, I was able to recognize, like, the, he looks like he just got blown up and survived like it. Part of his ear is hanging off and he's got sc- yeah. ga- scabbing all over his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and not not to use this as an opportunity to nitpick again. Oh, go for it. But let, let's say you're Zorg, right? And you just sent these guys to get you a case with four stones in it. And then these guys bring you a case, and you look, and there are not four stones in it. And then let's say because of this you become quite upset, and then you go to collect the stones yourself. Why wouldn't Once you, you check? see the case? Why wouldn't you then, therefore yourself, check? Yeah. Right then, yeah, instead wouldn't you of be waiting for that up at once to make sure you don't get the same mistake again. Yeah, because it happened again, and he's just like, sitting there and he just starts crying. You're like, well, you, you know that was a possibility. Yeah. You know they're being tricky. But uh, that's one I'll also give it a, uh, a a slide on because it allows for that great reaction shot for Gary Oldman. That was a beautiful reaction shot. They should work that into more movies. <laughs> yes, yes, they should. I would like to see him react that way in, like, Book of Eli or The Dark Knight or something, I think. <laughs> that would have been good that, for that, Book of Eli. Uh, that would have been perfect for the Book of Eli when he opens the book and he starts laughing and then he figures out and then it's in Braille, but then when he transitions across. That would have been perfect. So that's how. They, then you, That's just how they should have ended that movie. That face, then, you know, show the book, cut to black. Mm. And then play, I don't know, play one of those songs that they're always playing in Fallout when I play it. I don't know. I like the Ballad of Butcher Pete myself. I'm getting really sick of the Ballad of Butcher Pete, but uh, I I don't like In Love with a Wonderful Guy. That's getting really, really old. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any a good. There's the Wanderer song, uh, which it seems a little a little too on the nose. Anyway, there there was a movie we were talking about, wasn't there? I think <laughs> our the Hero Talk rating is going down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of tie-ins between this, this movie and a lot of other stuff that we like to talk about. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I, yeah. one thing that I wanted to point out is I, I was actually really surprised because they had that one spot where they were in a chase right at the beginning when Lilu falls into Corbin's taxi. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the police crashed into a McDonald's hover shipment thing. Yeah. And yeah. it was such a blatant, blatant piece of McDonald's product placement, I was surprised there wasn't more product placement. Yeah, I, I remember thinking that, too, that exact same thing, because we, we often poke at the product placement in these movies. And when I saw the speaking McDonald's... Of the Book was, of Eli. Yeah, speaking of Book of Eli. And it was so over the top in terms of, like, McDonald's was, in, in the first act of this movie, very prominently displayed. And then there was no other product placement for the rest of the movie. None that I saw. Yeah. It's like they not only paid to have themselves in the movie, but paid to keep everyone else out. Yeah. Maybe in this universe, McDonald's is the only restaurant left. They're the ones who won the franchise wars. They won the franchise wars, yeah. We need a movie about the franchise wars. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would pay to see that movie. I want to see I, I want to see the this as like a Street Fighter style movie. 
Whereas yeah, yeah. all of the mascots are fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, Ronald McDonald squaring off against Wendy. Yeah. And I, I'm going to call it right now. I want a quadrilogy. Yes. Hmm. You can't handle this in just one movie. Nah. It's too much war. <laughs> you know, going back to that earlier scene we were talking about, how exactly did she survive hitting the cab? Is it the perfect human just indestructible or what the hell? It's supposed so to be she, fragile. The, Maybe she just hit it correctly. I mean, the roof of the cab broke some of the fall. Uh, I'm I, a little bit of both, maybe. And plot convenience. And plot convenience. You you don't understand, Goose. The script said she survives the fall. The plot armor is strong with this one. <laughs> she had all that soot that cushioned the fall. That's why it wasn't on her hands anymore. Yeah. <laughs> why not? The soot on her hands acted as a blade of armor for the falling. Yes. And then she was able to immediately interpret all the, the signs that should have been fairly indescribable to her to say, please help, <laughs> or please help. Oh, my. Yeah. Still didn't deserve a Razzie. I'm just saying. No. And she learns. I also, I, I want I want one of those microwaves that just instantly makes a chicken. <laughs> yes, that would be very <laughs> we, handy. We, we need to get on that. Of all the future technology, that was like the one where I was like, oh, we have to have that. You can keep your flying cars. I want instant chicken. Uh, first, we're going to have to have the blue muffins from uh, Star Wars. Although the weird muffin self-cooking, those are weird. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm sorry, we were talking about Fifth Element. <laughs> it's the Star Wars of our generation. Yeah. All right, so... We keep getting sidetracked here. <laughs> we, we do, we do. And I'm not cutting any of this out. It's, just, <laughs> it's a little weird, because the movie actually does have a fair bit of color and character, but it's got so little substance that uh, we just keep getting distracted. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the, the diva and her and her thing. Um, first of all, if she had not been shot, how was she planning to get the stones out of her? Or how was she able to sing with all that volume in her body consumed by the stones? Yeah, she sang rather well. Now, her, her song was like, this This was a, uh, and I don't know how much of this I'm just making up off the top of my head and how much of this I actually heard, uh, but I'm just going to presume that everything that's in my head right now is fact. But she had, she was, her song was like digitally altered while she was singing, and the director said it was because no human could actually ever sing this song. I believe and it I was written s- to be alien like that. It was supposed to, right. it, it, they were targeting something that sounded non-human. So it got auto-tuned kind of all to hell. Yeah. But then I think it was about maybe four or five years ago, somebody actually went on YouTube and completely redid the entire song, like, just their voice, and said, like, see, a human can sing it. Now, this might not have been completely valid, because it wasn't like it was a famous singer. It wasn't, um, like, Adele or uh, Adina Menzel, who I just learned are not the same person. Uh, I mean, it was just some girl on YouTube, and I would think if you could just sing like that on YouTube, you probably are better than just singing songs on YouTube. I don't know, maybe she was like a famous. It's not well, like it, I'm really big at the opera scene. What so. there is, what I know there is, and you can look it up, is um, there was a, an audition on the Armenian version of The Voice of a girl who sang the diva song. And it sounds pretty good. I mean... She wasn't able to do a lot of the really fast note changes because that is completely impossible for a human voice. Uh, the, the kind of stepped notes sound, you have to, you know, curve it a bit to get from one to the other because your throat has to change shape. Um, but yeah, she was able to do it, uh, fairly well. 
I, I, I think some of it is, you know, you have something that happens and you say, no, this is not possible. This was designed to not be possible. And people are going to look at that as a challenge. Like, you think I can't do that? I bet I can do that. There's an Armenian version of The Voice. Yep. That is interesting. That's what I got out of that. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the other thing is that it makes that clip real easy to find. You just look up That's... Armenian diva dance. I think it's the first result. I'm a little scared of what results I'm going to get from that, to be perfectly <laughs> yeah, honest that, with that you. That could take you down to the dark road, man. Right. Um, well, I, I, but... I've i seen it, and I've looked for it, and I did not get into any bad stuff, so... Anyway, it was it made a pretty interesting backdrop for the fight scene with the uh, Lilu and the Mandalores. Yeah, actually, and that was one of the probably one of the best things in the movie was that it was a a successful version of a fight sequence that was choreographed to the soundtrack. Yes, I mean, really, I mean the 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 film for all of the the stuff that it got hit on, uh, it did get uh, nominated for an Academy Award for best sound editing. Mm, yeah, and, and it lost to Titanic. Stinking freaking Titanic. That will never be a hero talk. Nope. <laughs> Certainly not with me. I've never seen the movie, and I probably never will. I, I, I saw it because everyone saw it, um, except for you. Yep. But, uh, no, that was a terrible movie. I saw this it, was and much better. got kicked out of the theater for riffing it. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely, at the at the very end, when, like, Rose lets go of Jack and he dies, spoiler alert, Jack dies at the end. Um, lots of people die at the end. You shouldn't be sad with just Jack. But They didn't when, also when he survive starts, the Titanic? Damn. No. No. I mean, that's, people that's were just musical, like... Mate. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a very scary uh, collection of tweets of people who actually just didn't know that it was just a movie and figured out it was real and it's uh, oh, anyway yeah I don't want to think about that right now but there was a uh, there was a point where Jack was sinking and I started laughing because it was kind of it was humorously framed the way he sank in and it made me laugh and a lot of people were kind of mad at me about that oh yeah but. It was it was kind of funny. It reminded me. Um, there's two other times I've similarly laughed at a scene in a movie. No one else laughed. One was actually with Nick. Oh yeah. I, oh that was. Oh my god, that was funny. That was the it was the returns. end of the Mummy too, where the emo tech like <laughs> he, he does. He's just he's just supposed to yell no, and I'm sure that's what the script said. But the actor gets down on one knee, extends both arms, waits a moment, and then says no. In what was one of the more awkward scenes. I have ever I have seen that movie on TV numerous times and it doesn't get any less awkward. <laughs> it's still really it's it was really it was like a first take. It really was. Well, the strange thing was also just the framing and the action because it was when Brendan Fraser stabs the Scorpion King and then Imhotep runs in from off screen and kneels and he stands and yells no. It's like why didn't you just yell from where you were? <laughs> yeah. Why did you have to run in? Like you had to get in position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really it was like, it was like first you had to take, run in like, and get a closer look to verify that it was a fatal stab wound. It was it was first take. He was like no that's your cue. Oh that's my cue. Hang on. No. And the director's like oh whatever we got it. Uh, yep. Uh, legendary with uh, another one take no. Like uh, uh, Vader at the end of uh, Sith. Yeah, Vader. That, that had to be one take. The, um, you know what? And so the other one, and this is how I'm going to tie it back to Fifth Element, folks, is uh, when the diva gets shot and she kind of like puts her arms out in the dramatic fashion before <laughs> falling down. I also laughed. Now she, she didn't she, see this in the theater, she, but I'm assuming it wound like she was swooning. It really was. It was. It was. It was kind of odd the way she did that, and then she then she decides to give Corbin some really vague advice. It really bothers me when people are speak vaguely. Like she's going to need you. Like help him out. You understand the fate of the world. Um, and people always say the world uh, wasn't it really the universe? I think it was supposed to be the universe, but for some reason it was starting with Earth because apparently Earth is 
something. Earth is ground zero for alien invasions, man. Yeah, everything that goes down starts with Earth. But you know, I think all right, this movie uh, works great as a PSA as to why communication is important. <laughs> it, it really is um, an effective preparation. Or maybe, and, and you can go back to the first scene. Like maybe if the priest explains what's going on instead of you know trying to talk to Billy like after the other guy was killed magically. I don't even know how he was killed. They used the the big things use their mind powers or something. I don't. Know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping one of you were filling in the blank on that I, one, but uh, I I don't know. I thought the professor just passed out. I thought he passed out too, but I mean, uh, Luke Perry checked on him, and I think he was just and, being rash. Yeah, I honestly I think that that scene was entirely uh, unnecessary. I think I said that already. I still I stand by what I said. I completely agree. All right. Uh, are there any other callbacks? Last chance. Anybody want to talk about anything else what before was we? What desk say? elephant for? It was his pet. It was his pet desk elephant. <laughs> Where do you keep your desk elephant? I, I I don't know what they're for, so I don't have one. Yeah. Now, it was kind of when he was choking on the cherry, and he's like, he's frantically po- poking at the pad there. Like, what was he trying to get? I don't know. I also don't know why he put the cherry in the water in the first place. That was kind of odd. That's not something people normally do. Yeah, I, it's, it's another one of those things that's in the movie just for the convenience of, okay, he's going to... Get the cherry, he puts it in the water so he can forget that it's in the water when he takes a sip of water so he can choke, and therefore that then uh, uh, Father Cornelius can have some, you know, retort to uh, his uh, yeah. chaos speech. I mean, now, first of all, Cornelius just sits there and watches. Most of the drama of the movie goes away. Uh, not all, but most. Um, also, uh, smacking him on the back, that's not actually going to dislodge the cherry. Yeah. That's uh, that's not how it works. And also, you know, first of all, Zorg, uh, the Heimlich maneuver, you know, you don't need another person. You can do the Heimlich for yourself. It's It just seems like that's just common sense. You, 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 you can throw yourself, like, onto a table or chair. I've seen Liz Lemon do it in 30 Rock, like, two or three times. <laughs> so I know it can be done. Well, that's really all I got to say about that. Anything else? Um, last, last chance. I don't know. I, I, just to go into a bit more about how much time was spent on establishing stuff, um, I appreciate. I actually do appreciate that they established this stuff. Like a really early shot in the movie, you mentioned uh, Corbin was uh, trying to quit smoking, and he opens his matchbox. She has two matches left and uses one of them, and that one mm-hmm. last match comes up later. There's, uh, like, they spend a lot of time going into, oh, we need the flamethrower to get rid of these little things under the ship, so that establishes how Cornelius could get onto the ship through the landing gear, and a whole bunch of other uh, things like that. I'm I'm actually a little surprised you didn't mention any uh, uh, Chekhov's matchstick with this. Well, I actually thought that was really well done, because when you see it, it doesn't look like it's going to be that big a deal. Nope. So, I mean, that was... Because there are times where something gets established, and it is so painfully obvious it's going to be important later. Yeah. But when he, like, just tries to light the cigarette, and he sees the matches that he has left, mm-hmm. it, it's, it looks like such a throwaway thing until it shows up later, so... Very well done in yeah. terms of it, it's establishing surpri- it's, it's he has a match. surprising subtlety in visual storytelling with this movie. Right, in, in a, a movie spots. that is is usually not known for its subtlety. Mm-hmm. I also I also actually really enjoyed the running gag of uh, Corbin's mom calling in and being terrible. Yeah, that kind of got a little annoying well, to me. I, I enjoyed it because it didn't... It didn't run too long each time. I think there was only three instances, one in his apartment, one in the hotel boat, and one with the president. So yeah. there was enough time in between that you kind of forgot that that was a thing. And then at the end, yeah. when it was the president, you're like, yeah, what's this? 
Yeah, so now that you're bringing up this scene, I want this, I, I, I do have something to say about this scene. First of all, Mr. President, if you're greeting the people who, like, save the world, I don't care if you have 19 other meetings. And also call ahead, the president. <laughs> people know where you're going to be. Let them be ready. And then, so, he, but here's the real thing, is I don't understand why they're both in the tube. Uh, because they wanted to have that joke about them being, uh, not ready. Yeah, other than to set up for that joke, there's no legitimate reason why they both need to be in the, like, they're tired, so we put them in the, the, the regeneration like the, tube. The sunlight tube thing there was really, really weird, and, like, they're in there together, which was seemed kind of odd, and then they were either naked or got naked, I don't know, I don't, you know what, I don't want to think about Bruce Willis and Mila Jovovich, I am actively forcing myself not to right now, I am not allowing that image, um, however, last image of the movie is them smiling at each other in what has to be one of the more uncomfortable closings I've ever seen <laughs> to any movie, Or I mean, you see it, and, and it ends, and then they're playing the song, and you're like, uh, uh, no, show something else. Show, like, Zorg floating in space going, like, I'm still here, anything, anything else right now. Then suddenly Hino Jeff runs in you. from off camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that would have been the way to end the movie. <laughs> I need to see that in more movies. I need Emotep. I, I, I feel compelled to explain a bit more about that moment when we were in the theater watching this, because... The moment it happened, both Greg and I saw how absolutely absurd that shot was and started busting out laughing, and no one else in the theater laughed. No one else noticed. And this this was opening night, too, wasn't it? It was. It was, pretty it was opening packed. night. And, which, Full the feature. fact that no one else noticed and thought it was funny made it even funnier to me. I just kind of thought it was a very sad commentary on modern filmgoers that they didn't notice just how ridiculous that was. To be fair, a lot of them were kids. Yeah, well, because The Rock was in it, and so that was, yeah, all right. We'll do Mummy Hero Talks at some other point in time. <laughs> We're going to uh, spend like a half hour on that shot. We are. We we almost might have to do a Hero Talk just on that shot. Uh, uh, gee, I wonder what my cold open's going to be for that. <laughs> all right, uh, anything else you want to say before we, we start to shut this guy down? Go in once, go in twice. All right, now is the time on Hero Talk where we talk about our favorite scene in the movie. And Nick, let's start with you. I think I'm going to have to go with the diva dance in general because I haven't seen this movie in a long time uh, between uh, the last, since, let me try that again. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie before I watched it again for Hero Talk. And really the diva dance and that whole song was the thing that stuck with me the most for, uh, throughout that whole period of time. Like, that's the one thing I would remember for uh, The Fifth Element. Okay. Uh-huh. I can see that. Now, do you include in that, like, the fight scene that went along with it, or just the diva dance itself? Uh, just the diva dance itself, really. I actually forgot that the fight coincided with the song. Interesting. Huh. All right. Uh, Goose, how about you? Ironically, for me, it's actually the fight that goes along with the <laughs> <laughs> It's wow. One of those few moments, like you were saying earlier, where you actually have the good integration of choreography and music. Yeah. So, so mine. This is going to be odd because I, I I watched trying to figure out what my favorite part of this is going to be, and I love that scene, both halves of it. Uh, but the scene that actually, like, even all these times, kind of made me laugh is uh, it was right at the very end, right after like Lelou fired off the shot that killed the Great Evil, and they're sitting there, and the young priest goes, "Yeah," 
and then Ruby Rod just flips out, and he's like, what is wrong with you? It's always something going on. There's bomb, there's guns, people are invading, whatever, I'm out of here. And he just walks away. And I laughed so hard when I saw him. He just flips <laughs> out, and it's so funny to me. And so that's got to be my favorite part. As much as I don't like Ruby Rod, that was hilarious, just to see Chris Tucker flip out on the young priest for, like, yelling. He's like, it's always something. I'm, I'm done. I'm sick of it. So that was my favorite part. All right, so now now we got to give a score. And once again on Hero Talk, we'd like to remind our listening audience that review scores are stupid. Uh, they serve no real purpose, and they're only there so that people who are too lazy to actually hear the whole Hero Talk have some number reference, uh, which is a little bit silly that you had to take the Hero Talk and like go almost an hour into it in order to get to this point. But yeah, in general, review scores are dumb, and they mean nothing, and you're much better off actually reading the review than just taking the score. That being said, now we got to give this guy a score. Uh, Goose, we'll start with you. What would you give the fifth element? I give the fifth element Lilu falling through a cab. That seems like a pretty good metaphor, and and miraculously survives. The movie did make a ton of money. <laughs> it, it, it did, oh, yeah, even it though made like, a something... ton of money. Some people hated it, but it made a ton. I'm surprised we haven't seen a sequel or any talk of a sequel. You know what? The way I'd like to see a sequel, if if they were going to do it, is keep Mila Jovovich, uh, get rid of everybody else, and set the sequel for a, another five thousand years in the future when the big evil shows up again, and like take me through that, and like so now it can be like totally like way out there like Star Wars level sci-fi. I just think that'd be interesting. I'd watch that movie. Yeah, that's just my thought. And plus it's Mila Jovovich, and and anything to see more Mila Jovovich kicking people in the face, I am all about that. All right, uh, Nick, how about you? What would you score the fifth element? Hmm. It's, uh, I suppose I'm going to have to... This movie has the stone of earth, the stone of fire, the stone of wind, the stone of water, and Corbin's confession of love for heart, so this movie gets a Captain Planet. Ah, <laughs> uh, I did not put that together. Every second. I actually just noticed that about a minute ago. Wow. Yeah, Captain Planet. I am going to give this movie a brown goo running down the forehead of Gary Oldman, which is never fully explained. <laughs> Especially uh, because he wipes it off and there's no wound or anything. There's no wound. No, I I think I did. I had to do some independent research on a couple of moments in this movie that weren't so well uh, filmed. And I think the script is, calls for or the book that some, something out there establishes that anyone who talks to Mr. Shadow gets a brown glob that, that forms on their forehead. That makes less sense than just letting it go unexplained, but uh, that's what it was supposed to be. It was because he was talking to the great evil, and so I guess that was evil. I don't know, but it it's still my score. It makes sense as the green glowing sphere from heavy metal telling the girl about his history and future and then realizes that he gets killed and then dies while talking to the girl. Yep. And anyway, the other scene, I should probably point this out. So there's the scene where, like, the police are coming for Dallas and they totally, like, screw up who he is. Um... So that was that in the in the script it's actually kind of laid out that the the priest of uh, Father Cornelius intentionally takes the numbers and puts the thing in the wrong door so that he won't get interrupted. Hmm. Now that took reading the script and having to read between the lines because oh, the script only calls for Vito to do that. I kind of had to figure out why he would do that because I mean that seemed like a very uncharacteristic forward thinking move from somebody who didn't show that level of forward thinkingness throughout the entire rest of the movie. Yeah. But uh, but that's what happened there. If anyone watched it and like, wait, why why are they at the wrong door? That's why. Yeah, I saw that the name tag was swapped, but I still thought that was that that was a sign of remarkable incompetence by the police. It it was. Um. Yeah. 
No, I don't have a funny comment. It just it was it was really incompetent. Although that does remind me of one thing that they did establish was you know the police coming through. This is not a training drill. Put your hands in the yellow circles. Which I mean, it wasn't a huge thing, but later when right arm or whatever was at the mm-hmm. it was trying to check in as Corbin to the the mystery yeah. prize. One of like the eight people who tried to check out Corbin <laughs> Dallas, and the the little shield glass pops up with two yellow circles. You're like, up, oh, nope, you screwed up. Yeah, that's not going to end well for you. All right, so that was the fifth element, uh, guys. Thanks for coming on. Always a fun time. Oh yeah, thanks for having us. All right, and if you have a movie you'd like to hear us review, or maybe if you just want to check in and see how us at Hero Talk are doing, you can send those emails to Hero Talk at Enthusiacs.com. For more movies, Let's Plays, reviews, and articles, and podcasts, including uh, our new podcast, Behind the Line Radio, with Kinetic here, uh, you can go to Enthusiacs.com. Uh, let's see, we're on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. We are on Facebook, that's Enthusiacs. We are on YouTube, not on Instagram, uh, just just FYI. Uh, is that, are, we, are we anywhere else? Goose, help me out. Where are we? MySpace? Are we on MySpace? Is, is MySpace still a thing? Possibly, but I don't think we're on it if it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we better not be on MySpace. If if we're on MySpace, I'm about to go erase that. So we are not. On MySpace. All right, but the important thing, regardless of where we are, is not only head over to iTunes and give us a rating because we appreciate you listening to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, and join us back here for the next Hero Talk. All right, so fifth element. Uh, 1997, English, 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 wow, <laughs> wow, we are like less than a minute in, holy cow, it is hero talk.